So, Rhyme Tov, we continue. We are in our fifth class on the Sefer Dasas Firos. We're finishing up the first essay that's dealing with the virtues of studying this Chachmas Ha'emes, this true wisdom. And the author shares with us a beautiful Dvar Torah from the Ben Yehoyada, the great Sephardic commentary, on a, a famous Gemara in Mesechah Shabbos. And Daf Kufya Tes Amid Beis. The Gemara over there is discussing uh, the virtues of Rebbe, who's Rabbi Huda Hanasi, who had a special accolade that very few individuals in the history of the world had. What was Rebbe called? Rabbeinu Hakadosh, our holy Rebbe. Hakadosh. He was called a Kadosh. How many people do we know were called Hakodesh? Hakadosh. Well, we had the Orachaim HaKadosh. He's called HaKadosh. But very few are called HaKadosh. So the Torah wanted to know, of all the rabbis, why was Rabbi Huda Nasi called the Kadosh? And they say the following, because he never let his hand go lower than his belt. That's what it says. So what does that mean? Why is that a reason for the person to be called a Kadosh? So the simple meaning would be, that we know that, you know, below the belt is an area of a lot of um, sensuality. So he never put his hand in that area because he led a life of holiness and abstinence. And that would be the simple, correct shot. But says the Ben Yoyada, uh, he, he said, looking at much deeper, he says, it doesn't appear that that's a reason for Kedusha, and he says the main reason is, for we know, and we will see much more of this in the coming uh, episodes, that the essence of a human being, and especially a Jew, being in the Tselem Elohim, in the image of Hashem, which in our body, our body expresses this conduct of Hashem. And then... We know that just like there are 10 spheros, which we'll discuss much more in the next few days, the body is divided up into 10 parts. And the head is called the upper part. And that parallels the three upper spheros. Again, it's all we're getting ahead of ourselves, but which is Chachma, Bina, and Das. Wisdom, understanding, and intellect, which are all useless translations. But anyway, and those are the three higher zeros. And the rest of the body, from the head and below, parallels the seven lower zeros, as the Zohar explains, with each body part connecting to different parts of the zeros. Okay. And uh, just very quickly, he says that the... Uh, Right hand is chesed, the left hand is gvura, the torso is tiferes, the legs are netzach and hod, and the reproductive organ is called yesod. Okay, fine. That's stuff we will get much more into. So what do we see about the feet? The feet are really appropriate for the realm of action because that's what your feet do. It moves you from one place to another. Okay, you're thinking about things in your head and therefore, <coughs> you know, you, you act on them based on what the feet are doing over there. So therefore, 
the Benyana says there's a deficiency when a person takes his hands, which are really corresponding to chesed and gvura, which are more appropriate for emotions. Since the hands represent kindness and control, which are emotions, okay, we should never take our emotions and put them below the belt and have them act like feet in terms of actions. Don't misjudge talents that are meant to be used for thought, to be used without thought and for actions. Or to better yet say, to act without thinking about what your emotions are about. And that's what a Kurdish person is. It's not just, I don't put my hand in inappropriate places. I mean, that's obviously a ramification of that. But it's way beyond that. To say that Rebbe just didn't stimulate his sensual desires, that would make him a holy person. He's a holy person because he understands the proper order of behavior. And your hands stay up upstairs so that you can fully develop your emotions before you then move on to the feet, moving on to the actions. But once you put your hands, your middos, your 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 feelings go into the actions without a lot of thought of the feelings, now you've done things in the inappropriate order. So that gives you an understanding. Without the Kabbalistic understanding, you'd have way too much of a simplistic understanding of the holiness of Rabbeinu HaKadosh. And he continues and brings the what do we know about washing our hands in the morning? We take a utensil of water in our right hand, okay, and then we put it into our left hand, and then we fill up the water. But why, if we're going to end up in our left hand anyway, why don't we take it with our left hand? So the answer is, as the Mishnah Brura even says, we're not talking about a Kabbalistic work, he says to strengthen the right, with his kind, which is kindness, over the left, which is judgment. All right? Since the body has such deep, um, um, un- de- um, deeper uh, understanding of what's really involved, it's a deeper essence, that the right hand, every time my right hand is being used, I have to think that's a manifestation of the motion of kindness. And the left is gvura, control, so you always want to have the right control the left. And I don't do anything with the left until it first has permission from the right. Often we feel, oh, I have to show my control. I have to be judgmental. I have to do this. Maybe you have to. But it can't start from there. It's got to start from, I love this person. I want to be kind to this person. And this is the way I will manifest kindness. And therefore... Since the body is paralleling the ten spheros, so a person really understands what the ten spheres are in the deepest level, he'll begin to understand the nature of his body parts in the right way and understand what he's trying to achieve with each body part. Now below in the footnote, he mentions another interesting thing on the Pasuk that says, and his hands were trustworthy until the sun came down. So what does that mean? So it explains that there's two levels of amuna. There's amuna of the heart and amuna of the hands. What's the difference between them? 
Well, let's say there's a moon of the heart. And in the, with his heart, he uh, understands there's such greatness. Happens when he does mitzvahs. And in, intellectually, he understands what's going on on a spiritual level, which is wonderful. But there's a higher level. And that's when the person believes every time he raises his hand and every movement, he's affecting all the worlds. It's not that we're just, when I'm doing mitzvahs, I affect the worlds. But I'm feeling as I'm moving my hand and I'm keeping it up, I'm really making something happen in the world. And this is a higher level of amuna. It's not just intellectual amuna, but it's living. I'm moving. That's why great tzaddikim didn't move a limb without thinking first. That's something that's extremely hard for us because they had to think, what am I actually doing? I'm really making differences in this world. You have such great tzaddikim who uh, always were careful when you make a bracha to hold the food in your right hand. Why? Because the right hand is all about chesed. And even if, let's say, your hands are busy and they're tied up, Still, the right hand is the one. And if someone's going to be harder to use the right hand. But to be so particular, a lot of us, we just cash this, okay, I'm going to make a bracha. Some people don't even touch the food, they make the bracha. You know what I'm saying? It's important to hold the food when you make the bracha, look at the food, and hold it with your right hand. Because that's incredible chesed is happening when you're eating. And it should not be gvura. All right? Which not only to more explanation, but we're just trying to show you that if you really understand what the spheres are about, it begins to put depth and meaning to everything we do. And finally, you have a very good example, which is brought in the Sefer, Chemdas Yomim HaMeseches Shabbos. Explains one of the interesting rules. We're getting a little technical here, but it, it's a beautiful idea. We know there's a prohibition of eating meat and milk together. And there's a prohibition um, that exists when you eat meat, then you gotta wait six hours for milk. You cannot have milk right after meat. On the other hand, if you have milk, as long as you brush your teeth and 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 and, and rinse out your mouth, you can have meat right afterwards. So why? So in the world of the nigla, the revealed, we come up with the physical answer, because generally speaking, dairy products are soft. Generally speaking, they don't have much residue in your mouth. It doesn't take a lot to remove the dairy out of your mouth. And it digests faster. And it digests faster, all these things. With the exception, let's say, of hard cheese, certain ones. Okay, fine. Meat, on the other hand, two things. Meat can get stuck in your teeth, which you don't usually have with cheese. And the, the residual meaty taste remains in your body and it takes a long time for that to clear out which is all true which is all true on a at a basic physical level but the question is but isn't there a deeper message for that so he explains a very interesting idea from the realm of halacha in kashras and we can play can understand this idea what if, for example, a liquid of a prohibited item, let's say a prohibited liquid, falls into a liquid that's permitted? Okay, so there's a concept 
of, it says, Tatogavar. The lower item overpowers the higher item. So let's say if the lower item is hot and it's prohibited and the top one is cold and it's permitted and it falls in, now we have a, a law that, uh, that the lower one strengthens and makes everything awesome. That's the general idea. The lower one wins, so to speak. So let's try to understand Lower temperature or lower... The, the lower item. If one item falls into another. I don't want to get into the, the details, but the lower one wins. Uh, it's it's the base. The other one's coming into it. I don't want to get it all to the deal, but the general idea, it's called Tata Gover. Okay? So if the lower thing is hot and it's prohibited, you know, uh, then it's going to make it usher. If the bottom one is... But if it's cold... Then everything will be permitted. Fine. So let's look at this law. Let's say a person is eating first cheese. Now, cheese or milk, let's say, is in the realm of chesed. For reasons we'll get into later, but it's obvious. Mother's milk is chesed. Milk is Kabbalistically understood as kindness. Meat, on the other hand, how do you get meat? You have to kill an animal. So that's gvura. So, if a person first has milk, which is chesed, and afterwards meat, which is gvura, so which one wins? The bottom one, tato gavar, right? And then what happens is, since the milk is the winner, so what does the meat do? It just enhances the milk. Okay? And now it makes the chesed, if you're starting with chesed, and it wins, then the gvura uh, balances the chesed. Very good. And that's a wondrous thing. So if I have cheese first, it's good to have meat later because the chesed wins over the gvura. But if you're having meat first, which is gvura, and then you're having the cheese, now that's not good because the gvura is going to win over the chesed and you're going to use your chesed to try to punish and hurt other people. This is just a simple understanding what you should be thinking about when you're saying, I don't want to be fleshics, I want to be milchiks. What's happening over here? Okay? So therefore we see that a person, even with what you eat, milk before meat, or wash your hands right before left, all these things have a whole different way of refining and sophisticating your life. Because it's all parallel to that. So this is another great value of studying this kind of Torah. And the final thing that the tzaddiks <coughs> tells us in this is a very important hakdama, which we don't make any mistakes and turn into Christians, God forbid, that we're not, in the entire discussion we're having here, we are not engaged in explaining the essence of Hashem. Because we have no comprehension about the essence of Hashem we can't even understand the little, littlest, littlest part of God's essence. Everything we're engaged in is just to try to explain the ways of God's conduct in the creation and how he reveals himself through that conduct in this creation and what desires is he revealing to us through his conduct with us 
And if we are doing things according to God's will or not according to God's will. That's the only reason we study this. We also need to know that since we're trying to explain the conduct of Hashem in this world in a deeper way, so the rabbis use all kinds of parables because parables are a good tool to help us understand things, but not to confuse the parable with reality. We use a parable, Hashem is like a king and like a father. Don't make a mistake and think Hashem is a king and a father. It's just a parable. If it's only a marshal to understand his behavior, but in no way are we trying to say God is a father. God is a king. And all the early books wrote this at great length. So just to quote, for example, Lutzado says, it's certain that all the things that we're mentioning about the sphera, even though we're using some kind of physical images, we don't mean that at all, because that would be fear. That would be heresy. And we know, for example, it says there's no such thing as an image by God. Okay? And that is the first important thing we need to know. He quotes similarly with the Arizal, similar ideas. And we don't, even though we're going to use anthropomorphic terms, but we don't in no way want to get. So when we talk about God loves and God is <coughs> judgmental, all these things, that is totally not what God is. It's behaviors he does in a way for us to understand God according to our mini school brains. And, in no, and that, that'll give us a satisfying relationship with God, but in no way will that mean that is what God is. And with that, we end the first essay. Now we get to the parts that you're going to really enjoy. The second and third essay. The second essay is just called The Ten Spheros. And the third essay is called The Ten Spheros as they manifest in creation. So the second one is going to explain a lot of things, but it's going to be a little bit more still on the theoretical side, while the third essay is going to be more on the practical side. But we have to uh, understand what all this is about. So first we have to know, what are the, what's the source for this business that there's 10 spheres? What's the earliest source? The earliest source is in the <clears throat> Sefer Yitzira written by Avram Avim. That's a pretty early source. And he says it straight out. Eser spheros. There are ten spheros. Ten and not nine. Ten and not eleven. So Avram Avinu understood the spheros. A second source is in Divrei Hayamim, which is written after the destruction of the first base Hamigdash, the famous statement of what David HaMelech said when he was ready to build the base Hamigdash, and we david it every single day of Sukkot Zero. Locha Hashem, to you Hashem we can ascribe Hagidula, the greatness, and that's a code word for Chesed. Vahagivura, well that's Gvura itself, the second sphere. Vatiferes, that's the third sphere. Vanetzach is the fourth sphere. Ahod is the fifth sphere. Kichol words for everything in the heaven and the earth, that's the sixth sphere of Yesod. Locha Hashem Amamlocha, to Hashem is the realm. That's Malchus. And it's elevated beyond every head. And that is all the commentaries tell us, all reflecting of the seven spheros. So those are two very good sources to understand this, this idea. So this is not coming out of the ether. Okay. 
as well to know that in the ten spheros, they are divided up into two categories. We have what we call the lower seven spheros that primarily deal with God's conduct in this world, as we just saw in that pasuk. And there's three earlier spheros that are more concealed, and they deal with the realm of Chachma, Bina, and Das, types of wisdom that we can't see. When a person's thinking, we don't know what's going on. When a person's feeling emotions, we could tell when you're feeling an emotion. We could tell when you're doing something. We could tell if you're achieving a goal. But what you're thinking, we can never know. It's interesting. Um, and, and therefore, we have a relationship between the head and the body. The head is the three higher spheres. The body's the lower seven spheres. And therefore, the head directs the body and brings the body to all achievement. And the truth of the matter is, when we talk about nature, nature works the same way. We have the seven lower spheres, but against that, there are three higher spheres that direct the craft, uh, the, the, what's going on as well. As it said in Mishle, it says, Hashem, God, Bechachma, with wisdom, that's one sphere, Yosad Oretz, founded the earth. Koinein Shemayim Bitfuna, he established the heavens with Tfuna, which is Bina. And Bedaito, with his Da'as, to Homo the lower waters have busted forth. So you see, God works similarly with Chachma Bina Das, which we don't see, but we see the seven lower ones, how they affect the world. It's very fascinating. The footnotes tell us that in this world, therefore, we only can really be aware of the seven lower Midos. That's easier. The higher ones are hard to, to, to be, they're not manifest in this world. However, when we had a base Hamigdash, even the three higher spheros were revealed because the base Hamigdash had so much revelation that everything was able to be seen. And therefore, Rabbeinu Bechayev mentions in great detail when they build the Mishkan, how the number 10 was everywhere in the Mishkan and in the base of Mingdash. Just a few examples. The height of the Ark was 10 Tvachim. The height of the Shulchan was 10 Tvachim. The height of the Menorah was 10 Tvachim. The beams of the Mishkan were 10 Amos. There were 10 separate carpets that covered over the Mishkan. Uh, the copper Mizbeach was 10 Amos high, 5 Amos wide, 5 Amos long, that's 10 as well. In the base of Migdash that Shlomo built, he made 10 menorahs. He made 10 tables, he made 10 basins. The menorah itself hints with the 10, 7 arms, 1 knob, 1 cup, 1 flower. So 10 is a major, major concept in the world. And that's where Hashem is more uh, palpable, even on the higher levels, in the base of Migdash or in the Mishkan. As well, the building of the Mishkan, all the rabbis tell us, was just a miniature model of the creation of the world. The world, the great world out there, Pitzalel built a Mishkan, which is just a miniature model of the entire creation. And that's why when it was time to build the Mishkan, the Hashem says, and I will fill 
Bitzalel with Chachma, Bina, and Das. Just like how Hashem created the world with Chachma, Bina, and Das. And similarly, that just like, uh, yeah, so this, uh, that's, and therefore it says in Gemara Brachos that Bitzalel knew how to combine all the letters from how the world was created as well. Hashem took all the letters of the Aleph base. And by writing the Torah, that became the blueprint for the world. And the whole world came out of that. And Bitzal was given that wisdom for that as well. And now we understand why we learned the 39 prohibited activities of building the Mishkan. Because when we stop doing those 39 activities, that's testifying. Because those are the very activities used from the letters of the words to create the world. So we're showing that we believe that God used those letters, and on Shabbos we don't do any creativity. So this is all early sources. We see another very fine example in the Gemara of Brachas. When it goes through this very same posseg that we talked about, L'cha Hashem HaGedula, etc., etc. So the, the Gemara, I will just combine what the Gemara says with the Marshal's commentary to see historically how this fits out. And we're going to get more and more of this as we continue. L'cha Hashem ha-gedula. So the Marshal says, we know that's Midas HaChesed. And when did that manifest itself in the world? When God created the world. Because we know, Olam Chesed Yibana, the creation of the world was an act of Chesed. So Hashem, L'cha Hashem ha-gedula. Gedula is a code word for Chesed. And when did that manifest? When Hashem created the world. When did that manifest? When we left Egypt. Because that came through the ten plagues. And they said it's the Yad HaGedola. The strong hand of Hashem. And that's Chesed. As we understand, Hashem took us out. And then there was the Gvura in how he destroyed the Egyptians. Then is Tiferes. Is when Yehoshua made the sun stand. Because this made a great glory for Hashem and for Yeshua. Hahod was the miracle that happened at the Nachal Arnon when the enemies of the Jews thought they had an ambush over the Jews by being on top of the mountains. And Hashem took the mountains and pushed them together and killed all the enemies. And that was the aspect of Hod. I'm not going to get into the details of all that. Kichol Shemai, where is something the heaven and the earth? That's Yesod. And that was the battle against Sisra in the times of um, Devorah, where it says the heavens interfered as well to destroy Sisra together with the earth. And then Malchus, what's the Mamlacha? That is the battle against Amalek, because Amalek's the one who tried to dethrone Hashem. And in the future, when Mashiach comes, Hashem is going to be Misnase, elevated above where now everyone's going to really be able to see all that reality. So again, a tremendous connection of the ten spheros. As well, when we talk about God's conduct in the world, we understand that the ten spheros were the root of God's creation of the world, because it says the world was created with ten utterances, and each one of the ten utterances was one of the ten spheros. Um... It's really a Gemara Chagiga specifically says it. Hashem with ten things created the world. It says Chachma, Tvuna, Das, etc., etc. Um, as well, the ten plagues parallel the ten spheros. 
since Paro denied every aspect of God's creation, each Svira corrected that misunderstanding. And, so, and that's why when you have the Parshas of Vaera has seven plagues and Bo has three plagues. Or in inverse order, we have to reestablish the seven lower spheros in one parsha and the three higher spheros in the next parsha. And similarly, the Ten Commandments parallel the Ten Spheros. All right? So it's not any um, uh, accident here. But let's even take it further. We take the Ten, they go in three directions. Okay? Because when we're talking about the source of reality, there's the directions are right, left, and center. Okay? So we're starting with the lower spheros. The right is chesed. So imagine in a model, the right is chesed, the left is gvura, and then in between, those two bond together, and that creates tiferes. Okay? So, so, so this is the fundamental three types of flow. We're talking about God's energy can come down through chesed. That's one type. The opposite from the other side is gvura. And a combination of the two is tiferes. And therefore, what we'll see is that uh, that's in terms of feelings and emotions. When it comes to actions, we continue on where we have... Um, where we've got um, uh, netzach, victory on the right side, and hod, humility, on the left side, and you sewed bonding in the middle. So we've got two triangles. Triangle on top, uh, chesed, kvurati, fares, triangle below, and therefore it keeps chesed is over netzach, while gvura is over hod, and tiferes is over yesod. Three triangles feeding all into each other, that being perfection to everything in the world, till we get to Malchus. Malchus is the final reality, how it expresses itself. And there's so many other threes. For example, the three rivers that came out of the Garden of Eden, the three patriarchs, the three basic elements of the world, heaven, earth, and air, or three levels of soul, nefesh, ruach, neshama, or the brain, the heart, and the liver, or Torah Nevi'im Ksuvim, Kohen Levi Yisrael, past, present, future, air, air, fire, and water, thought, speech, and action, etc., etc. So these threes are all these three main energies that Hashem interacts with the world. Okay? And... Um, and we take it one more step. We go with the higher levels. It's Chachma Bina Das. Chachma Bina Das. So you got really three triangles. The higher ones are Chachma Das. Some say it's Keser Chachma Bina. Either way. And then the next one's Chesed Gvura Tiferes. And then the final one is Netzach Hod and Yesod. Final aspect, which we're not going to have time for. But we have to say, what does the word sphera mean? So two basic meanings. One is from the word sapir, which is a sapphire. Yeah. A sapphire glows and shines. By studying these, this Torah, our Yishkeit will shine. It'll be clear. It won't be dull and drab and dark. 
Sphir also comes from the word mispar, a number. And numbers are existentially different than letters. Interesting. What's the difference between a number and a letter? Add up the numbers. Well, add, numbers add up. But what about letters? Letters have their own independent understanding without any connection to another letter. Aleph means aluf. Aleph has its own meaning, irregardless of a base. And base has own meaning, right? But numbers, each one only has a context with what's before and what's after. It means they are very connected with each other. They're interconnected. And the spheros are interconnected by numbers as opposed to letters. Okay, there's more to discuss on that. And we'll uh, conclude that tomorrow. And... Uh, We'll keep moving on to the tens of the spheros to get some idea of what and how this impacts on the world. Thank you. Thank you. Okay.